got a question for you today. Has anybody ever heard of the NBA basketball player by the name of Jamal Crawford? Anybody? Jamal Crawford? Anybody? Okay, maybe a couple of people. Most people are like, you know, yeah, I know Kobe and I know LeBron and whatever. Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford is an interesting guy. He played 21 seasons of basketball in the NBA, and he is the all-time losingest player. He lost 665 games as an NBA basketball player. Can you just imagine that? How do you even get out of bed in the morning after losing that much? It's pretty amazing to think about. I was thinking about Jamal Crawford. I was thinking about losing, and I thought, you know what? I think winning is overrated. Wouldn't our life just be better if we were more comfortable losing? Wouldn't it be a lot easier? I mean, sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves and we're always striving to win and to be better. What if we just said, you know what? I'm good losing. Somebody just thought, well, you know, if somebody asks you after church, hey, what was church about? You can say, I learned how to be a better loser. Okay? Learn how to be a better loser. And in fact, one of the principles in the Bible is that you can actually win by losing. Did you know that? You can actually become a champion by losing. In fact, Jesus said it like this, if you will lose your life, you will actually gain your life. You can win by losing. We've been in a series of messages over the last few weeks called Change My Heart, looking at this biblical character by the name of Jacob. Jacob gets into a heavyweight bout with the angel of the Lord in Genesis chapter 32, and he loses, but he wins. And today I want us to talk about how we can win more by losing. Genesis 32 is perhaps one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, certainly with the, with the character Jacob. Jacob is uh, headed back to the land of Canaan. He has been uh, 20, he spent 20 years with his uncle Laban, in a faraway place. Now he's going home and he's got to deal with the problems that he created before he left. Um, If you know the story of Jacob, you know that Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright and his blessing, which is basically like his inheritance. So he rips off his brother, he runs and hides with Uncle Laban for 20 years, but now God has called him to go home and he's got to deal with his stuff. You know, sometimes to get to where God is leading you, you have to deal with your past. You have to deal with the things that are behind you before you can move forward in faith to the things that God has for you in the future. And uh, Jacob is anticipating a meeting with Esau, the older brother, and he's scared. Is Esau going to take me out? Is Esau going to kill me? Is Esau going to punish me? And it's late at night. Jacob is all alone. And all of a sudden, a man jumps on top of him, and they have this huge knockdown, drag-out fight. Look with me, if you would, in verse 25 of Genesis 32. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled, and he dislocated his hip. And he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And uh, we find kind of a weird story here, an odd story, an odd story. And people have asked for, you know, many, many years, well, who is this that was fighting with Jacob? 
Who was it that broke Jacob? Because the first movement in this whole story is that I'm broken. Jacob is broken. Jacob gets his hip thrown out of socket. And uh, you know that this had to be a supernatural being to just be able to go and knock his hip out of socket, right? And uh, this is before the days of chiropractic care, okay? So Jacob's going to walk with a limp the rest of his life. But back to this matter of who is this person that's fighting, uh, fighting uh, Jacob, uh, it says a man here in verse 24 and 25, but if you keep reading into verse 30, it says he saw God face to face. So the question is, was it God? Was it a man? Uh, was it Jesus Christ? Was it the angel of the Lord? If you look at Hosea chapter 12, it refers to it as the angel of the Lord. So who is this? And I believe that the reason that it mentions a man jumped him in verse 24 and 25 is because Jacob initially thought that the person grabbing him was a dude. And uh, that makes kind of sense because normally when we think about the Lord, we don't think about, you know, a wrestling match. But as it unfolds, Jacob realizes that he's wrestling somebody who's supernatural. Uh, If it wasn't supernatural, he could not have gone to his hip. And furthermore, um, he says he saw God face to face. So who is this? Well, this is what we call uh, a theophany in Scripture. A theophany is a really cool theological term. makes you sound very smart if you go and tell somebody, oh, this was a theophany. These are appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament before Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. Now you may think, well, how could Jesus show up in the Old Testament if he was born in a stable in a manger in the New Testament? And the answer is, remember, Jesus always is and always was. If you go back to the book of Genesis, um, in the story of creation, the scripture talks about we. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They always have been. So when we read in Genesis 32, what we're seeing here is a theophany. It's an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ who is also referred to in Scripture as the angel of the Lord, not to be confused with an angel of the Lord. And he has a wrestling match with God. Can you believe this? And he's broken. He's broken. His hip is broken. Man, he walks with a limp. He can't get around anymore. And uh, Jacob was alone. Man, sometimes God does his greatest work in our life in those alone times. But maybe you struggle with God. Have you ever wondered why did this happen to me or why is this why is this going on in my life maybe you've prayed lord this wasn't the plan lord this wasn't the direction that i thought my life was going to go it wasn't supposed to go like this maybe somebody lied or cheated or maybe somebody stole something from you or maybe you got a bad report from the doctor or maybe you're just struggling financially and you're wrestling and you're struggling god this wasn't supposed to be and we're in that wrestling match with God we're trying to figure out what is God saying what is what is God doing wrestling is a face-to-face encounter and wrestling is the most intimate sport it's all about who's in control I never was a wrestler I played other sports I never wrestled but wrestling has got to be the most intimate sport I mean you are You want to talk about spreading the coronavirus. I mean, come on, wrestling. You are breathing and snorting on somebody and sweating all over them. And I can't imagine 
having to put your arms around those big sweaty dudes that wrestle, that just sounds nasty to me. Sounds awful. Wrestling is intimate. You know what though? Spiritually speaking, God is intimate. God wants to know you. God wants to go one-on-one with you. God wants to have an experience with you. So wrestling is a biblical sport. There's only a few of those, but wrestling is is one of those biblical sports that's mentioned to us. And notice that Jacob was not just wrestling with the angel, but he was wrestling with God himself. And he struggled with God. And you know what? It's so much better to struggle with God than to walk away with God. I would rather you have some of those tense prayer moments and and to, to come to church and to be frustrated and angry than just to walk away. As long as we're struggling with God, God's going God's to direct us. God's going to show us. God, God can still work in your life when you're in the middle of a struggle, when you get body slammed, when, uh, when something's not going the way it's supposed to. Uh, I, I have found in my own experience that oftentimes when we're a little bit off course, God will give us a bump, but when we are really off course, God has to put us in a headlock. And Jacob's life is so selfish and so self-indulgent and so self-centered, God has to get his attention in a dramatic, dramatic way. So if you're going through something dramatic, maybe God's really, really trying to shake you. God's really, really trying to get your attention. And listen, you should be pumped and excited today if you're going through a time of brokenness because this is God's work and God's leadership to take you to where you need to be. Now, most people don't wake up in the morning and go, man, my life is a mess. I'm broken. Yes, this is great. Our prayer is usually, God, get me out of this. We hate pain. We hate the struggle. But you know, sometimes in the conflict is where God begins to do his greatest work in our life. And he's going to break Jacob and he's going to bless him right thereafter. Hebrews uh, chapter 12 gives us a little insight into this. It says, but if you are without discipline, which is all receive, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers discipline us and we respect them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, getting disciplined is a good thing, right? I mean, parents, if you don't discipline your kids, what do you get? You get a house full of brats, don't you? Sometimes you got to... Sometimes you got to put your kids in the headlock. Sometimes you might pray about putting your kids in the full Nelson. Amen? Discipline is a good thing. Jacob, Jacob is getting directed and corrected from God. So don't quit praying. Don't quit serving the Lord. Don't give up. This is part of God's progress to bring you to maturity and completion. The book of James says the testing of your faith produces endurance and patience. Here's the second thing though. Here's the second phase. He's broken, but he's yielded. Okay? So how do I grow in Christ? 
I'll go through seasons of brokenness. The rug's pulled out from underneath me. And I have to decide, am I going to yield to God or not? Am I going to run away and do my own thing? Or am I going to yield to the leadership of God? Now, Jacob, he does the latter. And look at verse 26. It says, then he said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, so the Lord comes after Jacob, first of all. Jacob doesn't initiate this this conflict. The Lord does. And then once Jacob figures out that this is God, he says, I will not let you go. First of all, he was trying to get rid of the Lord. And then he realized who it was. And he was like, I want to put my arms and legs. I'm going to, I, I mean, I'm absolutely not going to let you go. But he says, but then I might let you go if you'll bless me. Again, the, the, the schemer, the trickster, Jacob, the deal maker, he's like making a deal with God. Okay, God, I'll let you go if you'll bless me. <laughs> he yields. He yields to God's leadership. See, when we're broken, we have a decision. Am I going to rebel? Am I going to yield? And Jacob moves from get away from me to I desperately need you, Lord. Um, When I first started walking with God, I wanted to get as close to God as I could possibly be. I was at every Bible study. I was at church every time the doors were open. I mean, you know, if the senior adults at our church would have let me come to their Bible study as an 18-year-old, I probably would have gone. I was so excited about the Lord. I wanted to yield my life to the Lord. I was young. I was immature. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just so enthusiastic and excited. And there was a yieldedness there. Maybe you've been through some seasons like that. God wants us to be clingy with him. Jacob is clinging to to, to this divine being, to, to the Lord. He, he's got his arms and his, his legs around him. And he says, oh, I just want to be where you are. I got to be right there. You know, there's a lot of talk today about Velcro dogs. Dogs that have to always stick close. My brother and sister-in-law have two real big clingy dogs. Whenever we visit their house, you know, I, I'm convinced that the dogs think that we came to see them. You have dogs like that? Dogs are funny like that, aren't they? They really are. They have one, a black lab, and then they have another dog that's a golden doodle, you know, that's like a crossover. I always want to call it a snickerdoodle, but it's a golden doodle and a black lab, and they're big dogs, okay? These are not little like chihuahua dogs. These are like monster, these these are big dogs. And they meet you at the door, they bark, they, they, they rub up against you. You can't even hardly walk in. And there's two of them. So it's like hard to get around them. It's like a double team. You know what I'm saying? And you're trying to get through the house. And um, then they want to sit in your lap, not beside you on the couch, but on you. Two, two big dogs, like sitting on you. Then they want to play fetch. They want to go get their ball, slobber all over the ball, give it to you. You're supposed to play with them. And, you know, it just never occurred to them that they should not be as close to you as they as they want to be. I'm a cat guy. I don't tell a lot of people this, but I just love cats. Cats are so awesome. Cats and canines are totally different though. Cats don't really care to be clingy. Most of the time, every once in a while, there's the codependent cat, but most of the time, cats are just doing their own thing. We have, we have a black cat named Midnight, and Midnight goes and hides out the early part of the day and you know in the evening she'll make an appearance she'll come into the living room join in with the family take a bath 
in the corner, kind of away from everybody. She's not like a lap kitty. And if you're really nice, you can go over and rub under her chin or her tummy before bed. And she's good, you know? She's like very independent. She's not expecting anybody to do anything necessarily for her. Totally different than the dogs. I think when it comes to our spiritual life, we have to decide. Are we going to be more like the dogs or more like the cats? Are we going to be clingy with God? Are we going to get close to God? Do we want to do everything possible in our spiritual life to get as close to God and to yield to his direction in our life as is possible? And Jacob, Jacob was doing this, man. He was clinging to the Lord. He was holding on to him. It took him all night. Now You could say that Jacob was kind of slow. Maybe you've been kind of slow to embrace the Lord. Like sometimes it takes a while for it to all start jiving in our head what the Lord is doing. Oh, that's God. Have you ever had that epiphany moment? Like, oh, I've been fighting against it. I've been kicking. I've been screaming. I've been punching. I've been fighting. Wait a second. That's the Lord. Lord, come here. Come here, Lord. Give me some more of that. Jacob yields to the Lord. And it takes them all night. And Jacob desired the blessing and the anointing of God on his life more than anything else. He desired God more than prosperity, power, prestige, or anything else in his life. He wanted God. Is your heart yielded to God and do you want whatever he wants for you? Um, thirdly, um, I'm changed. Okay, so here's the process. I'm broken, I'm yielded, and then I'm changed. Look at this in, in, in verse 27. What's your name? The man asked Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be Jacob. And he said, it will be Israel because you have struggled with God and men and you have prevailed. This series is called Change My Heart. We've been talking about the changes that God wants to bring in us. Um, Jacob starts off a very selfish, self-indulgent guy. His name, Jacob, means supplanter or heel grabber. And if you remember in the early pages of uh, the early verses of chapter 25, Jacob is born and he's grabbing the heel of his elder brother, the twin brother. And that was a, a, really a metaphor and a picture of, of Jacob's whole life. Jacob is always working things. He's scheming. He is, uh, is one-upping people. He's all that. And so why did the angel of the Lord, why did he say, what is your name? Now listen, when God asks a question, it is never because God doesn't know the answer. God wants Jacob to understand something. Who are you? What is your name? My name is trickster. My name is manipulator. My name is looking out for my own self, ripping everybody off. That's my name. My name is Jacob. Oh, wait, 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 though. No longer are you going to be called Jacob I'm changing you today. Now your name is Israel, which means prince with God. Jacob got a new identity. He got a new name to represent the new person that he was. Now in the Bible, when God began to change people's hearts, they got new names. Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus became who? He became Paul, right. Abram became Abraham. That's what we see right here. Uh, Simon uh, Simon became Peter, the rock. Do you remember it? 
And so name changes refer to a change in identity. God is saying, listen, Jacob, you're no longer going to be the guy that's like working everything, working the deal, doing all this underhanded stuff. Now you are a prince of God. Now are you, now you're somebody who contends with God. God rules is another interpretation of Israel. You are, you are different. Now, the reason that we sin oftentimes is because we don't understand our identity. We get our identity confused. Sometimes we come to Christ, but we think like Jacob, not Israel. And we got an identity issue. The reason we lie is we don't think that God cares enough about us to take care of us. We have an identity issue. The reason we gossip, we don't think we're valuable to God. And we have to put other people down to make ourselves feel better. We have an identity issue. We don't understand. I'm a prince or I'm a princess of God. The reason we don't make the changes that God wants us to make, we don't see ourselves worthy of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we have identity issues. And God's saying to him, you you have to walk and to live like the new person, not the old person. You can't be Jacob, you got to be Israel. Your identity's changed. Uh, Some of us probably saw the American Idol season recently that featured um, a a girl on there named Sam. They called her Just Sam because she wanted to go by just, Just Sam. She wanted to go by Sam, one name. They called her just Sam, I think the judges made a joke out of it, Just Sam. Kind of like Prince or like Rihanna, Sam. But Sam's kind of plain, like Just Sam sounds a little bit better. So she goes by Just Sam. She's a subway singer from New York City. She lives with her grandma. She's very poor. She has very little self-confidence. She doesn't even think she should have tried out, but she did because grandma said. And now she's in the fight of her life. And the whole, her whole story centers around identity. Am I a subway singer or am I American Idol? Can I sing before millions? Can I perform on big stages with flashing lights and with, you know, tremendous musicians? Or am I just going to sing in the subway the rest of my life? What is it? She has an identity struggle. She wins the competition. It's an amazing story, and she sings in the grand finale, she sings with Lauren Daigle the song You Say, which is a Christian song that's all about identity. God says this, you say this, you may have heard it on the radio, and it's all about identity. And the theme of the whole season kind of centers around this idea. Man, I want to submit to you today that God has a new identity for your life. God has new things for you. For, for some of us, it's we got to let go of Jacob so we can become Israel. we got to turn our back on our past and who we used to be so we can become who he has called us to be. And you have a new identity in Christ, and your new identity is amazing and it is fantastic. God says you are greatly loved. God says you are highly favored. God says you are filled with grace. God has so many things to say about us. And Jacob begins to realize, oh my goodness, wow, could life really be this great? Does Jacob have a limp? He does. He's going to walk with a limp the rest of his life. But wouldn't you rather walk with a limp and understand your new identity in Christ than walk normally and miss your purpose? 
your new name. God has a new name for you. Maybe you used to be selfish and stingy, and now God's given you a new name, and it's generous as your name. Maybe uh, you used to think that God didn't care about you, that God blessed everybody else, but he overlooked you, but then you realized one day that you were a lot more blessed than you thought you were, and you realize your name is grateful. Maybe your name is faithful, because now you're full of faith, and you're able to endure circumstances that you never thought were imaginable a few years ago. God's given you a new identity, and he's given you a new name. Jacob was blessed because he was changed. Now look at verse 26. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for the daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you what? Until you bless me. I want to be blessed. He lost the battle, but he won the war. Isn't that great? That's the purpose of the Christian life. He was a blessed man, Jacob, who left Canaan, was capable of deceiving his brother, lying to his father, tricking his crooked uncle Laban, but he comes back as a prince with God. He's transformed. He's blessed. Oh, he's blessed. And more than anything else, Jacob wanted the blessing of the Lord on his life. And Jacob tried to bless himself by taking the birthright and the blessing, but now he realizes that every good and perfect thing comes from above. It comes from the Lord. So when God teaches us and we yield to him, we're blessed. See, when we're, when, when we're broken, we're blessed. How are we blessed when we're broken? Because God humbles us. And he teaches us to not be self-reliant, but to be supernaturally reliant on him. Brokenness makes us stronger. It gives us a, a reservoir of strength, a vi spiritual vitality in our own life, a, a, a total dependence. Listen, uh, the, broken, the broken man, the broken woman is somebody who is not weak, but somebody who's strong. Because they know that it's not about them, but it's, it's, it's about the power of God that's within them. Paul bragged about his weakness. Why did he do it? Because in his weakness, Christ's strength was made perfect in him. So we win by losing. Brokenness grows our trust in God. Brokenness helps us empathize with others. Jacob's going to resolve his conflict with his brother in the, in the following chapter. How, how could he do that? He, 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 he realized the pain that he had caused and felt and, and, and he empathized and, and it began to transform his relationships. Man, you want to talk about having great relationships. When you go through seasons of brokenness, then God begins to open your eyes about how to be an encouragement to other people that are hurting and you realize, oh, this isn't all about me. So when I'm broken, I'm yielded, I'm changed I'm blessed, and that makes us thankful. That makes us thankful. Look, look at verse 30. He says, that Jacob then said to him at, uh, at the place Penuel, for I've seen God face to face, and he said, yet my life has been spared. He was grateful. He was like, whew, man, I survived the wrestling match of heaven. God could have taken me out. I saw God face to face. And I live to tell about it. I'm so grateful. Jacob's whole life turns with his experience in this wrestling match. I'm telling you, there's like before and there's after. 
This is the apex. Maybe you're, maybe you're in a situation in your life where God is changing everything right now. And we hate the brokenness and we hate the struggle. But maybe God's doing his greatest work in your own life. And you know what? You're going to come out of this and you're going to be like, man, that was painful. This stunk. Uh, it was hurtful. But I'm so thankful that God showed me who he is and what his plan and purpose is for my life. When I was a senior in high school, I broke my ischium. I won't point to where that is on my body, but it's in a very sensitive place. So I always relate with Jacob and I always relate with this story because Jacob walks with a limp. I walk with a limp. A couple of weeks ago, I was out front here getting ready for church and one of our volunteers said, Pastor, are you limping? And I was like, yeah, the weather changed. You know, I feel like, like I'm like 80, you know, like an old man. Sometimes I limp around. And I broke that hip playing football in high school. And uh, I've never like fully, you know, recovered from that. And I walk with a limp. And it was through that circumstance that God began to show me who he really was and his purpose for my life. Before I thought, you know, it was all about my own accolades and my own achievements and my own desires and what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, when you can't walk, sometimes God gets your attention. And God began to speak to me and direct me. It was a turning point in my life, my senior year in high school. So when I walk with a limp, though, I don't think about, man, I wish that my hip didn't hurt. I think I'm so thankful that God rescued me and transform me and begin to change my attitude and my perspectives about my life. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Maybe you can look at your life that way as well. And we can all grow together in our faith, realizing that our brokenness is not the final say over our life, but maybe it's just the beginning. It was the dawning of a new day for Israel. Uh, he had a new name, he had a new walk, and he had a new relationship with God. And that's what God wants you to have. Um, God doesn't want you to see your life as worthless. He wants you to, to see it as purposeful. And that's why we're grateful. Now at the end of his life, this is the commentary on this man, Israel, Jacob. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped. Leaning on the top of his staff. He needed to have a hip replacement. But guess what? He leaned on his staff and he had a legacy. You know what his legacy was? His grandchildren. See, he had already invested in the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, Jacob goes on. He has all these sons. And, and the, the, the nation of Israel comes directly from his heirs. Jacob's even blessing the sons of Joseph. Joseph was the favored son but Joseph had two sons, and he's encouraging and loving and praying for those grandsons at the end of his life. And he realized he was dying, but he was still blessing people. See, listen, that's how you know your life has changed. Even when you're dying, you want to be a blessing to others. Self-sufficiency, arrogance, manipulation has gone out the window. Jacob is no longer Jacob. Jacob is Israel because he strived with God. And he was victorious. That's why we can be thankful. We can win by losing. By putting our confidence and our trust in God. Let's do it. No matter where we're going. No matter what we're going through today. Let's put our confidence and our hope and our trust in the Lord. Would you pray with me for a moment?